Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in online today on day 17 of this 584 million mile journey that you and I are on around the sun. Whether you want to be or not, you and I are on a 365 day trip around the sun. And last week, I kind of introduced some big ideas that if you missed, I would love for you to go back online or with our podcast and check those out. But I talked about how amazing this life is and all of the potential and the excitement that's wrapped up in this trip around the sun that you and I are on. And I talked about how, I mean, just right now, as we're sitting here having this conversation, you and I are spinning around in a circle at a thousand miles an hour. It's crazy to think about it. You thought merry-go-rounds made you sick. Just try to wrap your mind around this reality. You and I are currently spinning around at 1,000 miles an hour, and then in our solar system, we are cruising around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour simultaneously. And then in the middle of that, if that wasn't enough, our entire solar system is cruising around the galaxy at 514,000 miles an hour. Well, the good news is we're making good Time And it's simply amazing that you and I are on this trip and that life is existing on this little, little planet that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But last week I introduced a prayer in light of the bigness of, of the universe that we're in and the smallness of us and, and even the bigness of God. There was this prayer that we looked at in Psalm 90 verse 12. And it was, it was this, God, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. God, God, teach us to, to realize how amazing this is, to, to count our days and to make our days count. Give us wisdom to help us maximize and get the most out of every day because, man, this trip around the sun and every day, it's, it's like a miracle in motion. We're talking about some of these ideas. And, and perspective I gave last week, I, I picked on my little boy, Asher. He's three years old. So today I'll pick on my five-year-old, Grayson. Um, Grayson has about 4,700 days left until I'm allowed to kick him out of the house. Uh, I mean, what I mean is I have 4,700 4, 4, precious days left with my little boy, Grayson, right? I mean, we're counting the days, trying to make the most of them. And, um, um, I, I was spending time with God this week, and, and uh, in Psalm 39, it kind of jumped out at me, and I wanted to share it with you. In Psalm 39, um, we see David uh, having a conversation with God. He said, God, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Look at your hand. No longer than the width of my entire lifetime. It, it's just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows. And all of our busy rushing, it ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who, who, who's going to spend it. And then he goes on and he says, so God, where do I put my hope? It's a good question, right? Like, in light of the vastness of, of space and the smallness of us and in the, limit, the limited time that you and I have, he's like, man, where, where, do I, where do I put my hope? And then 
he says something that, that I think is really profound and simple, and he says, my hope is in you. Like, like the only thing that makes this trip around the sun significant, the only thing that makes this life really worth living, the only thing that gets me past the smallness of me, God is you. And then there's this contrast. As I was thinking about this and reflecting on this passage, there's the self-help like section in Barnes and Noble, right? Like you go on Amazon, you go to Barnes and Noble, there's this entire section of books and this entire ideology in our culture currently that says, you're amazing, lift up your voice, make the world notice that you're here. There's a lion inside of you, let it roar, all these weird like ideas of like how significant and amazing you are. And so then I look at like this, this drive to be significant, this drive to make your life count, and then like the reflections of David here, you're like, okay, my life is short and I'm I'm kind of a breath, and, and I'm, I'm not really much of anything, but then this book over here t- tells me that I'm a big deal, and I need to make everybody know that I'm a big deal, and you're like, man, what do you do with that tension of like, we're on this trip around the sun. Am I a big deal? Am I not a big deal? How, how big of a deal should I be, and do I need to let other people know about it, right? We, we kind of get stuck in this conversation, and so in order to help us have some perspective today, I want to take us back to our sun. And, and what's amazing about our sun is, is not only is it, is it beautiful and it's amazing, but it's also terrifying. I mean, right, uh, we live in Colorado, and so you walk outside, and the sun hits your skin, it hits your face, and even on a cold winter day, I mean, it's amazing, right? I mean, it can just change everything to have the sun out on your skin, and it's amazing because simultaneously, it's like, you know, billions of atomic bombs going off on the surface of the planet of the sun, so it's, it's terrifying and amazing at the same time. That, that when, when light leaves the sun, it takes 500 seconds to get to our skin. And what, what starts out as atomic bombs just going off everywhere warms our skin and our face. And, and not only that, I mean, our sun is amazing. I mean, it's, a, it's one of, of billions of stars in our galaxy. And so, I mean, you need to know, like, as, as much as we love our sun, it's not that special, right? It's not like... A super big sun or a super bright sun, which is kind of like your average, everyday, go to work, take your lunch to work, show up every day consistently kind of sun, which we're grateful for because if our sun wasn't very consistent, if we fluctuated at all, or if you and I moved, I mean, we'd freeze to death or we'd burn up. I mean, we're grateful for our little star here, um, but, but we, we have a tendency to think of it as little um, just because of our perspective, but to help you understand the perspective, um, I thought it'd be helpful to show you this. So, so this is a little golf ball here. And if we were to compare the earth in relation to a golf ball, the screen's going to pan out right now. And, and in order to really help you like, feel the weight of this, because I can't get the screen big enough to show you what I'm about to show you, our earth in comparison to the size of our sun, our star, one of hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy, out of the hundreds of billions of galaxies in our universe... Not the biggest star, not the brightest star. We have our sun. And then in comparison to our planet, the screen is zooming out to roughly 15 feet. And if you made a sun that was 15 feet in diameter, that would be what it is in relation to planet Earth as a golf ball. So what you're looking at right now, the length of the stage and the height of this room that I'm standing in right now, this is you. And this is me. And this is us. And what's truly amazing is that you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside of our 
average star. But it doesn't stop there. In 1977, a spacecraft named Voyager left our little golf ball and started traveling through our solar system and started documenting and capturing pictures. And, and in 1990, 13 years later, as it gets to the edge of our solar system, NASA's like, hey, you know what? We should have Voyager turn around and take some pictures on its way out of our solar system. And so in 1990, they tell Voyager to turn around, which I think is simply amazing, by the way. Okay, so like four billion miles away on the edge of our solar system, they tell Voyager to turn around, and like a mile down the street, I don't even have good cell service at my house. Okay, so that's, that's simply amazing that they can do that. But then Voyager, sure enough, turns around and then uh, um, starts to take a sequence of 60 photos. Just capturing what's behind it as it exits our solar system. And, and then it has to start sending that data four million, I'm sorry, four billion miles back to planet Earth. And it takes months for these photos to get back to Earth. And as they're uploading into the nether space, which is, I mean, it's just mind-blowing to think that you can even send, like, information that far. But as it comes back, when it finally all comes together and they're able to put these pictures together, astronomers are stunned at what they see. And this is a picture of what came back from Voyager. It's pretty amazing, right? Looks like that moment that your camera went off in your pocket. <laughs> or you had your finger over the lens. <laughs> I mean, what's so amazing about this? That astronomers were absolutely floored. Well, I know it's really hard to see. But there's a couple of rays of light that are reflecting off of the Voyager um, and, and in these rays of light, there's this itty-bitty speck that maybe you can see right over here. And it's not a dust particle. It's not a smudge on the screen. That is planet Earth from four billion miles away. In the middle of nothingness, there's this itty-bitty speck, and it floored astronomers. Carl Sagan reflected on what this photo would become known as the pale blue dot. He said it this way. He said, that's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone that you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives, every young couple in love. Every mother and father, every hopeful child and inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals and every corrupt politician, every superstar and every supreme leader, every saint and every sinner in the history of our species has lived there on a moat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. And as I reflected on the words of Carl Sagan, and as I looked at the photo of the pale blue dot, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Louisville, and I was looking at the window, and I'm watching people run around, and I'm watching the, the hustle and bustle, and the cars go by, and people in and out of the coffee shop, and, and all the buildings around me, and then I, I lift my eyes up out the window, and above the buildings, and the cars, and all of the busyness, and I look at the sky, and I look at the clouds, and I start to look past where I'm sitting, and this 
little insignificant me on this little insignificant planet in the middle of, of nothingness sits this life. And, and in that moment, man, it, it made me feel so small. And, and it made me reflect. It, the, the, the things that I get worked up about, the things that I chase after and pursue, the things that stress me out, the things that distract me, the things that waste my time and my attention, all of it started to seem just incredibly insignificant. That those can seem like astronomical problems until I have an astronomical perspective. And I realize, man, that's us. That's, that's home. And then I reflected on the irony. <laughs> Think about this. The irony that comes from the pressure of our self-help world. In light of this concept, in light of this reality, there's a whole world screaming at you saying, be great, be significant, make your life count, be amazing, leave your mark on the world. And then I'm like, that world? The, the one you can't even see? That's, that's the world you're leaving your mark on? And then it makes me think, man, am I, am I really a big deal? Are we really all that, that we, we make it up to be? And it makes me reflect and and it makes me think about, wow, what am I doing on this trip around the sun? And here's what I, what I hope is happening, guys. I hope that you're starting to realize something profound along with me in this journey. And the goal is not, not that we just realize that we're small, because we are, but not just that we would realize that we're small, but rather that you and I are amazingly small. You see, it's not, just the, it's not just a miracle that there's this speck floating through the universe and it's containing life and all of the incredible things happening on it. It's not just a miracle that you're here flying through the universe and that you're on this planet, on this trip around the sun. What's truly amazing is that you're on this trip around the sun and God wants to be on it with you. What's truly amazing about all of this is that the God of the universe, he knows your name. And he wants to make himself known. God wants to be in a relationship with you and with me. And so the encouragement as we continue this trip around the sun, day 17, into this 584 million mile journey, is let's, let's not get lost in the ordinary. Let's not just chalk it up to another year, acting like, like it's just going to come by. Let's not get just, just drowning in, in the, the lame and the ordinary. But this year, let's realize something huge together. And listen, I realize that some of you, you're not followers of Jesus, and you're, you're, you're tuning in and wrestling with, with your spiritual journey and what you believe and why you believe it. But man, I'm inviting you into this huge realization that you were made on purpose and for a purpose. It's not a mistake that you're here. And this is not just a trip through oblivion, but you were made to be in a relationship with God. And that's what David was echoing. The only thing that makes this trip worth having, the only thing that gives me hope is a relationship with God. And so for the time that we have remaining, it begs the question, what does it look like 
to have a relationship with God. I mean, if we're going to make the most out of this trip and we're going to talk about having a relationship with God, we probably shouldn't guess at it. We probably shouldn't just hope that it works out. We should probably wrestle it to the ground and figure out what does that actually mean. And more specifically, let's ask it this way. What does it look like to follow Jesus? That's the invitation that God knows your name. He wants to make himself known. And he chose Jesus to be the avenue by which you and I have access to him. We're going to unpack that in a little bit, but it's a a good question. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And, And I need you to wrestle with it. Listen, how would you answer that question? What have you heard? What have you seen? What does it look like to follow Jesus and have a relationship with God? I think the problem you and I get into is when we hear this question, we've, heard, we've seen it demonstrated in confusing ways, and we, 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 we've seen people answer it in confusing ways, and it, it can start to feel a lot like the Mandalorian, right? Like there's this, there's this secret code of, of following Jesus, like this is the way. But like no one knows what the way is. Like what's the way? Somebody tell me the way. And the problem with following Jesus is it's way less cool than being a Mandalorian, right? Like you don't get armor. You don't get like a cute little baby Yoda to follow. If you don't watch Star Wars, you, like you're missing out, okay? This is important. Um, but, but like w- what is the way? How do we know? And one of the big problems that many of us run into, one of the reasons that maybe you're skeptical about Christianity, one of the reasons that maybe you've never plugged into a local church and committed to it, maybe one of the reasons that you've walked away from faith or stayed away from faith is that you've heard a version of what it means to follow Jesus that is either uh, incomplete or inaccurate. And so I just want to spend the rest of our time unpacking this um, and, and helping us understand what does it mean to have a relationship with God? And here's the challenge, is that many wrongly assume and, and answer that it's, it's by what a person does that, that makes you right with God. It's, it's, it's by what a person does that identifies you as a follower of Jesus, right? Think about it. Am, am I doing all the right things? The, the secret to this trip around the sun is am I doing all the right things? Am I not doing, you know, the things I'm not supposed to do? And, and, and this list changes, but maybe you've heard it. Like, okay, am I being a good person? Am I, am I going to church? Am I, am I giving a little bit of money? Am I, am I praying? Am I being nice to my kids and not yelling at them? Am I, like, being nice to my wife? Am, am I uh, uh, being generous with my time? And we, we just have all these lists of good things we're supposed to do, and then typically our don't list is even bigger, right? We have a, we have a do list that's small, but then a don't list that, that is way, way bigger. And what's funny about the don't list is it like changes where you, like depending on where you live. Like I'm from Texas, and the don't list in Texas is different than the don't list in Colorado, right? And so there's some things on the, the don't do list over here that, that are permissible in Colorado, and it's like this moving target. Here's the deal. If it's about, you know, not doing X, Y, and Z and making sure you're a good person and just trying to, to perform your way into a relationship with God, like that's the key. There, there, there's a word in there in your understanding, and, and it's this word performance, that what I do makes me right with God. And the problem with that word is that sums up religion, but it misses the mark of what Jesus invites us into. And oftentimes what happens is you, you leave this idea frustrated, you leave it discouraged, you leave it feeling like a failure because you can't perform enough. But it doesn't stop there because some people answer it by, by what you do. Some people answer this question by saying it's, it's by what a person knows. If you can know all the right stuff, if you can know as much as you need to about Jesus and about the Bible, then you're going to be good. If you can answer all the right questions, if you can answer them the same as everybody else, then you're a good Jesus follower. And the problem with this is this is, this is an idea rooted in information. That, that all the right information is going to make you right with God. The problem is, and, and you know this, think about it. Information doesn't necessarily mean 
uh, the right direction, right? Like, I-, I can know that jalapenos don't agree with me. That's information. And then I can still choose to put them on my hamburger and eat them anyway and choose that the consequences are worth it, right? Just because I have the right information doesn't mean it changes my behavior. So there's an, an entire idea of information that makes you right with God, and it falls crit- critically short of this conversation. Now, now hear me, listen. I'm not saying that, that what we do and what we know doesn't matter, right? That's not what I'm saying. All I'm trying to say is, is the, those two ideas fall incredibly short on their own of what it means to follow Jesus. And the reason that God birthed City Church, the reason that we're here in Boulder, the whole reason that that we're even doing this thing is is because God told us to help people find their way to God from where they are. It was a clear invitation. Jesus used the language of making disciples. It's a relational term. It's idea of, of someone being followed and the follower. It's about relationship. And I need you to hear me. The Christian life is not me living for Jesus. It's Jesus living his life in and through me. That, that following Jesus, it's, it's all about relationships. And, and I need you to get me. If you take the life of Jesus, if you just dig in, we don't have time to do it today. But, but if you dig into the life of Jesus, what you're going to find is that his entire life fits into three categories. And it's all about relationships. More than what Jesus did and more than what he knew, it was who he spent time with that characterized his life. And it fell into three categories. His relationship with God as father, his relationship with his close followers, other followers of Jesus, if that makes sense, and then his relationship with the world around him, those who did not have a relationship with God yet. Three relationships consistently. You can take the entire uh, set of, of four Gospels of the life of Jesus and fit every story into one of those three categories. His relationship with God, his relationship with other followers of Jesus, and his relationship with the world around him. That is those who did not know God yet. And that is an entire summary of, the, of what it means to follow Jesus. And so you, you got to ask the question, so, so then... If that's what the life of Jesus looks like, then what does it look like for me? The invitation is the exact same thing. The the same three relationships. It's incredibly simple. And religion gets in the way often. But I want you to move past religion and into the invitation of relationship. That Jesus invites us first into a relationship with God. And when we, when we have a relationship with God that changes everything, that relationship overflows into every other relationship. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're to be digging into this. And I want to invite you to lean in as we talk about each of these relationships individually. But, but what I want to camp on for the rest of our time is this, that following Jesus is first and foremost about a relationship with God. Guys, listen, if we miss this, we miss everything. Because everything finds its source in this. So my question for you today is, have you ever started a personal relationship with God? And if you have, what what does that look like? How are you cultivating it? Jesus says it in this way in John 17, verse 3. He said, and this is the way to have eternal life. And he goes on to say that you go to heaven when you die. Wait, no. That's not what he said. What what did he say? This is how you have eternal life, that we know you. He's talking to God. 
the only true God, and Jesus, the one you sent to earth. Jesus uses the word know. It's a relational term, right? It's, and it's not, it's not like you know about someone. It's not information about someone. This is the personal, intimate, relational term of knowing someone. I need you to hear me. Christianity, the invitation, is not an invitation into religion, but rather relationship. And, and there are people who have made it religious, and if you've ever been exposed to that and burned by that, I'd like to extend an apology, because that's not what Jesus is inviting you into. Every religion is full of X, Y, and Z. Do these things to make yourself right with God. The invitation from Jesus is the exact opposite. Jesus says, you're never going to be good enough. You can't do enough to be made right with God. And so then God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again to save us and set us free, to make a, a straight path into a relationship with God by simply trusting in what Jesus did for you and for me. Let me give you an example to help you understand this, okay? Uh, Danielle and I have been married for 10 years, and, and it's super cool to watch uh, this journey continue to unfold. But I, want you to, I just want to ask you a simple question. What is my marriage? Danielle and I, we've been married for 10 years. What is it? Is it, is it the house that we bought together? Is, is it raising our kids? Is it the chores that we have to do around the house and the laundry? Is it the date night that we share? Is it, is it uh, walks in the park? Is it getting a new puppy? Is it sharing a bank account? Like, what is my marriage? Right? You hear all those and you know the answer is, no, that's, that's silly. That's just things that you do. What is my marriage? My marriage is a relationship that everything else finds its meaning because of my relationship with Danielle. All of the things I just mentioned, they're all the overflow, the byproduct of my relationship with her. Otherwise, those things would be super weird, right? Imagine, just go to Target this week. Walk up to a stranger and say, hey, do you want to open a joint banking account with me? Right, that's so weird. Why? Because that only makes sense in the context of relationship. Relationship fuels our actions. It's the same with God. I don't have to read the Bible. It's out of the overflow of my relationship with God that I spend time with Him by reading the Bible. I spend time with Him by praying. It's out of the overflow of my relationship with God that I go to church, that I love my neighbor, that I forgive my enemies, that I give uh, financially, and that I serve with my time and my energy. It's out of the overflow of my relationship with God that those things exist. They are extensions of my relationship with God. They do not earn the right for them. They, they don't maintain it. They're the overflow. Jesus goes on, uh, and he says in another place in John 15. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. This is a relational conversation. Those who remain in me, and I in them, they will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruit that matters, the, the byproducts of your life that really matter, making the most of this trip around the sun, what's the key to that? What's the key to having those things produced in your life? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and, and self-control. What does it look like? Jesus says those are the overflow, the byproduct of a relationship with me. Think about it. It's the vine, the roots, the source that gives everything else its nutrients. Who's the vine? Jesus is the vine. 
Who's the branches? You and me are invited to be the branches, to connect ourselves to Jesus, that Jesus made a way for us to be connected with God. He's the vine, we're the branches. Whose job is it to produce the fruit? You ever seen a branch just working really hard to produce fruit? Or the branch has nothing. You walk outside, cut off a limb off a tree, take it home, see what it gives you. Nothing. It's the vine, it's the roots, it's the source that produces everything else. It's the vine that pushes it up and through and out of the branch. In the same way, God wants to do things in and through your life that are only possible when you're connected to Him. What's the vine's job? To hang on. I'm sorry, what's the branch's job? It's to hang on. Not to work, not to produce, but to let God do in and through you what only He can do. You hang on to the vine with everything you've got, and God will do the rest. So here's my question. Do you have a personal relationship with God? A couple of action and reflection questions for you. That's the first one. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Not one that you earn, not one you perform for, not one you have to, you know, get a, get a master's degree for, but one that you've entered through faith in Jesus. That what Jesus did on the cross in your sins for your place, that when Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again, that was to give you access to God, to save you, forgive you, and set you free, and to make you completely new to attach you as, as the branch to the vine. Have you ever taken a step to start a personal relationship with God? Because he's, he's made a way for you. The second thing is this. If the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships, then is there anywhere that you're off track? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're new to it. Maybe you've been doing it for a long time. But if it's all about relationships, how, how's your relationship with God? How's that daily intimacy going? Not because you have to, but because as a branch to the vine, you're letting God do in and through you what only He can do. How's your relationship with other followers of Jesus? Are you connected to a local church? Are you plugging into a city group? Are you staying connected? Are you being held accountable? Are you growing? Are you investing in others? Do you have community around you? as you follow the life of Jesus? And how's your relationship with the world? Those who are not yet followers of Jesus, who are you serving, who are you engaging in? Who are your relationships as you engage in the world around you where you live, work, and play? And what is it that God wants to do in and through you in the world around you? And the last thing is this. Is there anywhere that you're getting lost in the ordinary? This 365-day trip around the sun. What's taking away your affection and your attention and your devotion? What's distracting you and robbing you from the most important things? Your relationship with God and the overflow of that relationship with God into the world around you, into the people around you. Nothing is ordinary. And God wants to be on this trip with you and I around the sun.
Let's not waste another day. Let's come to the realization we were made for this. We were made to have a relationship with God. And the overflow is it touches every other relationship in a significant way. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.